Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is brought to you by iSocialBoost.com. If you're trying to grow your Instagram following, maybe you're an aspiring outdoorsman or woman who is trying to attract sponsors or just get real life engaging followers, iSocialBoost has done wonders for my second page, which is called The Hunter's Legacy. I literally post once or twice a week. And I have like almost 9,000 followers in a few months. It's pretty ridiculous, to be honest with you, um, compared to how hard I've worked to grow the Lone Star Outdoors show page on my own. But anyway, go to isocialboost.com, use my promo code Lone Star. You'll get your first week for like 80% off. It's like five bucks. There's no contract, no commitment. If you're not satisfied with the amount of followers that you are generating, hey, it's free to cancel. But it's iSocialBoost. Go look at my page, Hunter's Legacy. They've grown that thing to nearly 9,000 followers in a very short amount of time. They'll do the same for you, iSocialBoost.com. Good morning, good morning, Cable Smith, welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoors Show Slide Over, little Kylie Ray Harris kicking things off for us today, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, it is great to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks, man I tell you what, I am still all smiles after an epic mallard hunt that we had this past week, and I think I said on last week's broadcast I felt like a horrible person been messing around with these deer so much that I hadn't even gotten Bell out to duck hunt one time before the split, which is pathetic for me uh, because even more so than deer hunting, I just I love hunting with my dogs. Um, it was Maverick before Bell, then it was Maverick and Bell. You just take them both, and now it's just uh, old Bell, and, and she's even got a gray face these days. But um, I, th- I said I was going to try to take her 12 times before the season ended. And we made it twice this past week. Got skunked on Monday. Uh, hunted a cornfield. The ducks had been feeding in. Went with a buddy, and he'd limited out there twice prior to the split. But water started to recede, and the ducks didn't show up. Actually, a group of teal came in, and we thought they were going to land in the decoys. And you know, we just sat there watching them. They didn't land. They flew off. <laughs> Me and Pastor John looked at each other like. What in the hell just happened? Why didn't we shoot? And Belle, goodness gracious, I didn't think she'd get, want to go hunting with me again after that. But went again on Wednesday with our friends over at Blackland Outfitters, and they put the mallards right in our lap. It was one for the books. I think we ended up with 15 birds, 13 of them being mallards, uh, 11 greenheads. So uh, Bell had a hell of a good time picking those birds up, and I had fun shooting them in the face because literally – some of them were like eight yards away. <laughs> um, made for some good eating, though. That is for sure. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. I'm glad you're here. Off the top, we'll be joined by our friend and longtime outdoor writer, 
Kevin Reese of Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. We've got some outside-of-the-box applications for Thermal to get into. I've been using mine a lot during the day, and I'll tell you why uh, coming up here in just a bit. Also, Kevin's building himself uh, a new rifle, and it's a caliber that I actually am not familiar with, but one that sounds like it's going to pack a wallop. We'll get into that as well as the status, uh, the vitality of the firearms industry today. Is the Trump slump over? We discussed that, among other things. Uh, then at the bottom of the hour, so we'll spend quite a bit of time with Kevin today, but at the bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by Kyle Pavlik, second-generation outfitter at Golden Triangle Whitetail. I just got back from Illinois. on a uh, was on a muzzleloader hunt there last week. It did not disappoint. I tell you what giant body deer big racks and i was able to knock down a nice mature eight point uh we discussed that hunt as well as their operation and just the guide's life in general i mean there's so many things that once you put a hunter in the field are out of your control as an outfitter <laughs> and i know that makes for some long days some frustrating days so how does kyle deal with that mentally uh, just, you know, there's disappointment and frustration. Folks miss a buck. Folks wound a buck. Folks pass on a buck they shouldn't have passed on. Uh, that's all part of the outfitting game. So we'll get an inside look at the uh, the life of a white-tailed deer outfitter. Um, that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. couple other things to mention. I've got a box of Kent Precision steel the fast steel so what uh i was shooting mallards in the face with the other day and actually bang for your buck i've been shooting this stuff ever since i got out of college and could afford to go from the cheap old winchester experts to kind of the mid-level box of ammo if kent fast steel is the, the best bang for your buck out there and i've got a box of 12 gauge number threes that we will uh send out to let's make everyone eligible just email the word mallard, that's mallard, to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. And uh, you'll be entered to win a box of Fast Steel from our friends over at Kent Cartridge. Also, don't forget our December Photo of the Month contest is going on right now. I've got a Lone Star Beer prize pack for this month's winner. Shoot your best hunting, fishing, or outdoor photo over to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered to win, and then our monthly winners will square off at the end of 2018 for a chance to hunt trophy whitetail or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So make sure you send in your best outdoor photo. Let's take a quick break. Up next... We'll be all over the thermal imaging roadmap with our buddy Kevin Reese of Pulsar. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I don't know if that's the cheating she likes or just an LOD. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway. Hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. 
Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts. Just 30 minutes south of DFW, if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs, you need to give them a call. Hunts are $250 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. What is it? It's a one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. Okay. Clark, it's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. It's Christmas time again. It's time to be nice to the people you can't stand all year. I'm growing tired of all this Christmas. That one goes back a ways. Blink 182, the sounds of my youth, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I won't be home for Christmas. You never know what you'll hear on the show. Uh, but that's one of my favorite holiday tunes there. Hope that the Christmas spirit is alive and well with you and yours. I'm your host, Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing a part of your holiday season with me on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Uh, thanks to Dallas Safari Club, longtime title sponsor, and thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Um, i got to say, Christmas is certainly my favorite holiday I know some people get beaten down by it, and trust me, before Thanksgiving, when I see Christmas decorations or hear Christmas music, yeah, that's an absolute whipping. Uh, but once December gets here, I'm I'm all in. Anyway, we've got a great topic of conversation to get into here in just a second. Something that certainly is outside of the realm of what people normally associate thermal imaging and its applications with. Uh, so my good friend Kevin Reese of Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Optics will be here in just a second. Actually, he's already sitting here in the studio with me. Uh, but before we get into it with Kevin, this segment of the show is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd personally like to invite you to get plugged in with DSC. Better yet, hey, why don't you give the gift of conservation? An annual membership is $75. Why don't you buy one for your dad, your brother, uh, wives, grab one for your husband. The membership comes with Camp Talk, the monthly publication, also Game Trails, which is a quarterly magazine featuring stories from members and internationally recognized outdoor writers. a great publication. Um, and then you'll be privy to the uh, DSC email chain and all other news and, and media releases as well as far as what's going on in the world of big game conservation and, and the regulations that we are constantly battling. So DSC is on the front lines fighting for our rights as hunters every day. So if you want to give the gift of a DSC membership, you can go to biggame.org 
to do just that. All right. Well, my good friend Kevin Reese of Pulsar is here in studio with us. And so without further ado, we've got a lot to discuss. Kevin, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me back out. Yeah, yeah. It's great to have you here in studio. You've been staying busy this hunting season? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, not not hunting what I what I really like to hunt right now, which is deer. I've been busy hunting hogs, and and uh, yeah. well, that's pretty much it, man. Yeah. Hogs with thermal rifle scopes. And been out with our friends over at Three Curl lately? Yeah, I was just out there um, a couple weeks ago with uh, James Vick, a UFC fighter. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that, I was out there with uh, Jeff Thomas and the Predator Pursuit guys. Oh, uh, yeah. out, But that was out near uh, Haskell with Row Outfitters. So. Okay. Right on. Right on. Well, you're looking good. It looks uh, like you, you've lost some weight. I have, man. I mean, ketosis. Yeah? yeah. You still on it? Yeah. I've, I've, I know I've, last, these, last time we hung out, we got you off of it to drink a couple beers with us. But uh, you're back on the straight and narrow? Yeah, I lose track of cards when <laughs> beer is there. Beer or whiskey. Yeah. 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 But I'm back on. I just started up again. I'm down like 45 pounds. So awesome. It's working, man. I yeah. don't want to be a fat guy anymore. Yeah. Well, you're looking good. Um, well, I've been using Pulsar products. God, I think it's been like six or seven years. Been on the pro staff. Pulsar obviously advertises on our show, and we have a discount you know, for all of our listeners, which um, I, we've gotten a lot of people into thermal night vision scopes. And yeah, we're pretty happy about that. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, you know, I am, and, and our listeners are as well. 20% off is a nice discount when you're talking about um, some expensive but very valuable, uh, I just call them tools, really, because and I think that's what we're going to talk about today as far as things that are in my pack. Um, that's kind of outside the box stuff, and, and we'll kind of transition into that uh, here in just a second. Um, but but first, talk about the three things that came out. What was it? Two years ago? Has it been two years since the the Trail Helion and Core came out? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that was a Shot Show 2017. So uh-huh. um, the Core I think came out a little bit before that, but the big launch was at Shot Show. We did the uh, trail thermal rifle scopes, the helium thermal monoculars, and then the core. And the core has always been a 384 sensor, but when we launched the trails and the heliums, we launched the 384 sensor and the 640 sensor at the same time. Okay. Uh, and also, um, when I when I talk about the cores, we talk about the FXQ FXQ 38 forward attachments, but we are also talking about the core RXQ 30V, uh, and that was a big hit because we talk about affordability. I mean, it didn't get any better than the core xq 30 v and the core for anyone out there that's not familiar with it it actually attaches to the front of your existing rifle scope so you want to use the same gun for daytime nighttime you know you don't want to have a dedicated thermal rifle fine the core is a great option for for that uh application now i've actually never i've used the core um but what i have on my ar is the trail xp50 <laughs> absolutely love it there are you know Going back throughout the history of thermal, those CR123 batteries are so damn expensive. They never lasted longer than a couple hours, uh, depending on how much you turn your scope on and off. So uh, there's lots of things I like about these units, but to have the lithium, the rechargeable lithium batteries is, oh my gosh. I I think you can get like eight or ten hours off of the, uh, I'm holding the Helion monocular in my hand right now. Thing won't die. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, it's cool because we, you know, we have those rechargeable batteries. And like you said, they run six to eight hours easily. And of course, when, when we hunt, when we're running crop fields or doing stocks, and we don't have them on the entire night. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're, 
cruising from one field to another, you turn them off or you put them to sleep for a little while. So literally one eight hour battery will last you all night long. But for the guys that do leave them on, I mean, you know that we have a, a battery that's lasts roughly twice as long. So we have, you know, virtually a 16 hour rechargeable battery too. Although it's a little, it's a little bulky. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I am the same way, you know, as you, I mean, I get tired. I've run uh, thermal and night vision uh, pulsar devices for a long time before the trail and the helium. And I was changing out the batteries and then you're right. It was every, you know, two, three, four hours. And I was changing expensive. batteries and it's, yeah. you know, four five, six, eight bucks a pop, depending on where yeah. you're getting your batteries out. And it's, it was frustrating. And that was part of the reason that Pulsar did that. They went to the rechargeables yeah. and it was a game changer for a lot of folks. Yeah. Well, and not only the, uh, rechargeable batteries, some other things that kind of broke the mold in the thermal game, uh, the internal recording option, which, so actually these, these, um, both, both the trail and the helion are, you know, they've got a little CPU in there, I guess, or some kind of memory because, you know, uh, all you do is plug it into your computer and there's your footage. You don't have to use those bulky, uh, what were those things the called? The DVR, oh the gosh. mini DVR recorders. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, so we, inconvenient. We got rid of those. Shoot, you know, sometimes it would just black out. Yeah, well, and that's part of the reason we didn't go to SD cards either because, um, you know, we we did a lot of research, Pulsar did, and um, a lot of feedback from users and determined, you know, SD cards under recoil are pretty unstable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you want stable, then you go with internal memory, and that's what Pulsar did, but it sure... Whether you use internal memory or SD card, it sure beats the heck out of the external, uh, you know, cable connected DVR recorders that you're talking about, like on the Apexes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the quality is quite a bit better when you're running internal memory too. Mm-hmm. The video quality. So, well, obviously we have traditional applications um, for night vision and thermal. People use them to hunt hogs, coyotes, um, some other things. I know law enforcement is uh, a big part of, uh, I mean, a lot of your sales are to uh, yeah, law enforcement. Those guys are using them for surveillance, they're using them for fugitive recovery. We just had a, uh, a patrol lieutenant uh, in Waco, um, Officer Ballou, uh, was 800 yards in a helicopter. And, of course, I don't know the specifics about um, about the, the case, mm-hmm. Uh, it's it was a real um, it's a real occurrence. Um, I just but I don't know specifics. But I know that he was 800 yards in a helicopter using a helium XP50 thermal monocular. Um, they were looking for two suspects that fled a vehicle fatality accident, and uh, he spotted them hiding in the woods and guided officers on the ground uh, to go in and apprehend these two suspects. Mm-hmm. And he he captured the video on his thermal on his thermal monocular for evidence. Wow. Uh, and I have another friend in Coffeeville, Mississippi, who's getting a lot of calls of uh, Peeping Tom. Oh, my God. Uh, several people called in on this one street, so he got around the corner and turned off all his lights and crept down the road with the thermal monocular hanging out the window and saw the guy crouching down in the bushes, so he just pulled over, went over, and grabbed him out of the bushes. Wow. Wow. Well, so obviously um, beneficial to our law enforcement officials, some other things that I've um, used it for is game recovery. I imagine you guys get a lot of feedback from that aspect of these units as well. Well, we do. Be, uh, part of that is because... Especially um, from a guide standpoint. I mean, they get paid based off of... Let's be honest. Sometimes we as the hunters, we go on a guided trip 
and we screw up. We make a bad shot. I'm not saying I've ever done it, but there are people out there who have. <laughs> and so for a guide, you know, you get your tips, you get repeat business based off of sometimes if you're able to have a successful hunt. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, everybody talks a big game, right? You right. go to, you know, whether you're, it doesn't matter where you're hunting. If you're hunting with an outfitter, <laughs> you know, the first thing that everybody always says, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if I kill anything, you know, it's, it's experience and, you know, hunting is hunting, right? But I mean, deep down, if you go and you're hunting with an outfitter, and you don't get animal on the ground, you're pretty dejected, man. And, and the guides know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And if the guide wants to repeat business, I mean, he's got to do everything he can to, to, to recover your animal for you. And the nice thing about the thermals is that they're so sensitive. Um, you know, I, what I like to do is in what people are, are, um, you know, first introduced to thermal, I'll walk over and just put my hand on a wall for a second, walk away. You still see the handprint on there. Right. And, and what that means for somebody who's tracking blood or recovering an animal is that that blood is going to be, is going to be detectable for quite a while. Mm -hmm. The animal is going to be detectable for hours and hours. I mean, yeah. I've recovered animals that I've shot three, four hours earlier and they're still glowing bright. Right. Uh, and so I would think that that's an ace in a hole for any guide to make sure they're recovering animals and getting, getting hunters to come back. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, other things that I've kind of, and this is more in the last couple of years, and I do want to make it very clear that you need to check with whatever state you're hunting. So you you're you know you spend a lot of time in Montana. Mm -hmm. uh, I spend a lot of time in in New Mexico, Colorado. You need to check the regs there. I'm not saying just go do this, but if you can, like for an elk hunt, you get up while it's still dark anyway. You might as well have that thermal in your pack, and you can scout you know before the sun even comes up. And as long as the thermal, so so for instance, the helion isn't doesn't have the ability to be attached to a gun which this does not right uh, then it's legal you can scout with it now you, you couldn't take your trail up there and have a rifle and and think that you're going to be okay right um but that's something that i've personally used it quite a bit for also and i know you like to bow hunt um you probably don't get to do it as much now because you get paid to, to shoot rifles more or less yeah i can't complain about that man but i still i'm a bow hunter through and through yeah but so, you know, walking to your tree stand, how many times have, have we been walking to our tree stands and you just hear that deer blow at you? <laughs> and then just the trampling of feet running off into the woods. Man, depending on what time it is, because every once in a while I get out there a little bit later than I want. And so then it's kind of a 50 50. Oh <laughs> I'm my either going to yeah. hear something blow at me or I'm not. Yeah. Oh, you could get out there at four in the morning and still it doesn't matter if the deer are there. You're screwed. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. you know, and then I still get in the stand and just wonder, did I blow my hunt? And, of course, nine times out of ten, I did because yeah. I'll hear that blowing and I'll never see a thing all morning. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But so the beauty of this is you take it, you've got it in your pack, you, you know, you've got a backpack on anyway, you're carrying your bow, you probably have your harness on, you're walking to your stand. And the whole time you're just scanning, you know, you walk 100 yards, you scan, you walk 100 yards, you scan. And if there's deer in the area, I'm not saying you don't go to your stand. You just let them feed off, move off. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter if if they can't see you. What it doesn't matter if you get in your stand at five or at seven. It makes no difference. Yeah, it really doesn't. It, it can be broad daylight, and you're climbing into your stand. And but if the deer were there, you know, maybe they're going to come back. But at least you didn't blow them out. Yeah. Um, the other day in Oklahoma, which before I lost that lease, which I've talked about that in the last couple <laughs> of weeks, uh, but I was walking to my stand. And there was a skunk, like literally 
10 feet from me. You gotta be careful, man. I had ne- <laughs> and I've never been sprayed by a skunk, but I'm, you know, yeah, I, have. I could. You have? Yeah. <laughs> was it walking to your stand? <laughs> no, that was in my backyard, and my wife would let me in the house with, like, it was bad. Like, with, thank God we live way out in the country, eight miles down a farm road, because she would let me in the house with my clothes on. Yeah. It was bad, yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, Bell, my lab's been sprayed. <laughs> And the, I don't know, did you lather up in like tomato paste? That's what they always say. <laughs> no, she actually, she made a concoction with um, like dish soap and baking soda and <laughs> some other stuff and had it all ready for me when she actually finally let me in the house and I had to walk in the house and go straight into the bathtub. Uh, and it took me probably an hour just to become tolerable. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was bad, man. It was making, when it first happened, um, you know, it was really strong, and then all of a sudden, I didn't smell anything at all. And so I thought, you know, I didn't get sprayed. But when my wife opened up the door to let me in the house, she said, "I know you're not coming in here." <laughs> and and but then after my senses came back, I mean, it was still bad enough even sitting in the bathtub where it was making my eyes water. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. Man. Yeah. Oh goodness gracious. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want any part of that. I think Belle had to spend a couple of days yeah. outside, and she she traditionally is an inside dog unless we're hunting. And yeah, that was. A rough deal for her, but that was on a duck hunt. I think it was still dark outside. But still, one of the benefits of thermal, right? Saved me from getting sprayed, that's for sure. Um, Some other cool features, um, actually. So, so that's the bow hunting application. Why I think this is such a great tool, and and yeah, thermals are expensive, but compared to what they were ten years ago, um, if you if you save your pennies for a month or two, I think. Anybody that really wants one can afford them now. We're talking two, three grand instead of 10, 12 grand. Yeah, I think we even have... Um, and it's still expensive. I mean, it, it is an expensive tool, but um, you know, I think it's attainable for the blue-collar guy that really wants one. Hey, it's not too far-fetched. Yeah, you can find them uh, you know, now on the, on the lower end, uh, you know, say sub-2,000 on a thermal monocular, mm-hmm. uh, all the way up to, say, 5,000, say, the, the, or 4,500 or so for the, the Helion um, XP50, mm-hmm. uh, 640 sensor. Um, but, man, I mean, these things used to be five, you know, or excuse me, uh, ten, fifteen thousand dollars 15000 right? Yeah. Even upwards of $20,000. And I'll tell you, we talked about walking in and out, but the last time I arrowed a pig from a tree stand... Um, I knew that I hit it uh, hard, and I've sat there for a minute, and then re- remembered that I had my thermal monocular in my backpack, and I pulled it out. Literally, all I did was stand up my tree stand and start glassing, and within 15 seconds, I found my pig laying 30 seconds behind my stand out in the woods. I mean, it took me 15 seconds to, to recover my pig. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a game recovery aspect when you're bow hunting, too, that thermal is really good for. Mm-hmm. Including blood, blood tracking. You don't see the pig right away. You'll pick up the blood. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. Um, Kevin, let's do this. Let's knock out a quick break. We'll come back and get into daytime thermal scouting. I think people overlook the fact that thermal doesn't discriminate between night and day. It just detects heat. And so uh, I'll talk about how I was able to use this tool on my recent Illinois whitetail hunt. We'll do that after the break. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the deer lease this fall and celebrate knocking down that big buck with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. We'll be right back with more from our good friend and outdoor writer Kevin Reese. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Because Grandma's always crying, Mama's screaming that she's wanting a divorce. Christmas is my daddy out of prison and some toys. 
All right, waterfowl junkies. The finisher is the quick and humane way to dispatch a duck or goose. It's uh, you know, it's unsettling when you've wrung that bird's neck, you throw it in the pile, and ten minutes later he's laying there flopping. Uh-uh. We don't want that. That's not ethical. And so the finisher alleviates that. You stick the finisher in the back of the bird's skull at an upward angle, give it a little twist, boom, dead instantly, never felt the thing. The finisher is only 14 bucks. It fits on any waterfowling lanyard, and you can find it at adrenal-line.com. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds, highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Howdy, this is Robert Earl Keen, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We stepped out onto the golden sand. The sun was high and burning down. Rented donkeys from an old blind man. Saddled up and rode to town. A little gringo honeymoon bringing us back. On the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you, so thank you sincerely. Um, we are going to continue our thermal imaging discussion with Pulsar's Kevin Reese here in just a second. But before we do that, this segment of the show is brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you've got a deer lease... You know what you need to do? You need to get yourself a 600-pound stand-in fill. Gone are the days of backing your truck up next to the feeder, or God forbid, if you've got uh, a feeder pen you know, out of, made out of barbed wire like I do, God forbid you have to take a ladder with you. Uh-uh, no. 600-pound stand-in fill eliminates all of that garbage. You just stand there. You open the bag of corn or protein. They've got protein feeders too. And you put it in there. It's that easy. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right. Uh, well, Kevin, thanks for sticking around through the break. I want to transition now into how I was able to implement the Pulsar Helion monocular into my recent Illinois whitetail hunt. So this wasn't walking to and from my stand. This is something totally different, and it's kind of like the backcountry scouting, which I've obviously used the, the Helion for. Um, first thing I did before I even packed it up, and took it to Illinois for this whitetail hunt. What was it called? Illinois Game and Fish. Hey, mm-hmm. is it legal for me to scout with a handheld monocular that is doesn't have the ability to be attached to my muzzleloader because it's a muzzleloader hunt? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. You can do that. No problem. Cool. So obviously I'm a big proponent of hunt smarter, not harder. Yeah. Because, I mean, you go into the it's back a kiss country, method. Oh, my God, yeah. And you, you break yourself physically and mentally. If you can give yourself just a little bit of an edge for, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm all for it. And as if, long as it's legal, I don't – and a lot of people might say, oh, that's unethical or whatever. And, but I just don't see it. I don't see how using something to basically glass with is unethical. If it's a better method, why would we not use it? So I took this uh, – to the, took the Helion to Illinois. I'm sitting in a box blind. And – Essentially, I'm just looking, overlooking a, a cornfield, and there's snow on the ground. 
so the black hot was really cool because you see the white snow and the, yeah. the black animals. Yeah. Um, but these deer, Illinois, their landscape in that in that ag country is you know big ag fields and then little woodlots, creek bottoms, and stuff that the deer live in, and then they come out and feed into these things. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times they hang out on the edge of the wood, and you can't really see them with your binos unless I mean. You can you dissect it, you know, really dial in. But I was like, why do that when I have this monocular and right. I just scan the wood line? Boom, black dot, black dot, black dot, you know, and there then I, I can see everything. <laughs> see coyotes, anything. And, you know, if you really like, and on a backcountry hunt, you might get your spotting scope out, you know, I always do. And you spend hours dissecting the same uh, landscape. Yeah. And, and that's a big part of Western big game hunting. But for this, hey, it's just such an invaluable tool. The buck I ended up shooting, I spotted him before I ever used my binos. So what I do and what I think I'd recommend and I think anyone with common sense would do is find the animals with this and then look at them through your binos. Yeah. Yeah, I would think that that, that makes perfect sense. And depending on if, you, if you're if you glassing and observing, say, early in the season, you'll see you'll see antlers and everything if oh, yeah. uh, they're in velvet. Um, there's one of the problems I had not too long ago, and uh, I think it was year before last, uh, one of the bucks that I shot uh, was unintentional. I thought it was a large doe. It came out with two does. I thought it was three does. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, I'm going to shoot the biggest doe. And it was right at last light, and they were up against a tree line. And so I shot the largest doe. Well, come to find out that it had about a <laughs> nine-inch nine inch spike on it, and it was camouflaged with the tree line, uh-huh. with the trees behind it. And I thought it was a doe, and I ended up, I used a buck tag on a, on a uh, nine on inch a spike, spot. and so I I was you know the spike slayer that season. Yeah, yeah. I I would have caught it if uh, it was still early season, but I would have caught it for sure if I had a thermal. But I I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, so after after my hunt, uh, two of the the guides up there, and I think one of the other hunters that was in my my cabin, we, we were both tagged out. And was like, what do y'all want to do? Do you want? I was like, well. I don't care. They're like, you want to go for a drive in the state park and just see if we can see some deer with that thermal. They were really intrigued by the thermal. They'd never looked through one. I was like, sure. So we all took our bino, regular binos, and then we took the the Helion, and we just kind of drove, just like we glass for pigs with three curls. You drive around the backcountry roads and, um, you know, you glass the crop fields. So we were just glassing yeah. these woods. And I'd be like, hey, there's a deer. There's a deer. There's a deer. And they're like, well, I can't see it. Where is it? And I was like, here, look through this. And they're like, holy crap, this is such a cool tool. Uh, and then found one deer that was pretty far back in the woods. And I said, now you guys try to find it with your binos. And they couldn't find it. Oh, and, yeah. And I'm like, well, here, you know, but they could see clearly. Here's a black a black dot. It's got it's the outline of a deer. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think they might be taking advantage of that Lone Star Outdoor Show promo code coming up here in the near future. Yeah, well, I would hope so. I mean, uh, it. You know they're great. They're great for well. They're great for guys. They're great for anybody that's glassing, and now they're affordable. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, like you said before. I mean, they don't cost fifteen or twenty thousand dollars anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, you know, there's so many different applications. Once you have them in your hands, I mean, like I said, I mean, I have I have thermal now, and so I use them like we talked about when I bow hunting or or man out when I'm. Heck, we've hunted together. We're out there with three curl, and you and I are you know running around the crop fields looking for pigs with thermal. Well, I also discovered that I could use it at home, 
and see if I have problem uh, insulation or if I have problems with um, air coming in around the doors or the windows. Or actually, I didn't. My wife did. <laughs> right. So yeah. now I keep it my safe because she doesn't know the combination <laughs> to my gun safe. And uh, because I mean, I ended up with a honeydew list like a mile long because she started walking around that thermal. <laughs> yeah, I got to keep that out of the wifey's hands. Um, okay. Couple other things to mention. I want to talk about the accolade and the pros and cons. That's the accolade is the new. It's basically binocular um, thermal. Yeah. Uh, that Pulsar has out. Pros and cons versus the Helion, which is a monocular. Um, I don't know. I've looked through the accolade at. I think it was at DSC last year. I haven't actually played with one myself in the field, but I know you get, and everyone gets it. You get thermal eye when you're. You know, when you're looking through your monocular you, and you, you take it away from your eye and then that natural light or even darkness, whichever, hits yeah. that eye that was exposed to the thermal for an extended period of time. And uh, I was wondering, what, what what does everyone say? What do they prefer? Have thermal eye in both eyes or one eye? Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really kind of depends on the application, right? Uh-huh. I mean, uh, you know, for uh, for some guys that don't have an issue with they say having that thermal eye in both eyes maybe it lasts just, like 20 seconds and it goes yeah away, but. uh you know if they're just using them for surveillance uh using it for observation even you know guides or you know it's like again you know we keep bringing up say three curl right mm-hmm. and so when we go out and hunt you know that you know brett and charles sometimes they're running around they're sitting up on top of hills and they're glassing over large large crop fields and so they're not um you know they're not on the field doing a stock so thermal eye doesn't really matter and you you do your brain processes differently and more efficiently uh when you use both eyes and Mm -hmm. you get less eye fatigue actually right so the accolade really shines there uh but if you're say on a field and you're stocking then some of the guys yeah they prefer to use thermal monoculars so they have thermal eye in one eye and they Mm -hmm. still have their night vision in the other yeah yeah uh, so it is. It's, it's does kind it of a have internal up. recording also? Yeah, it does have uh, built-in video recording and and the accolade. See the XP just like on the trail in the Helians. We have the XP models and the XQ models. The XP models have the 640 sensor. The XQ models have the 384 sensor. And then again, the XP50 model has that heat signature detection range of 2,000 yards, just like the XP50 trail and the XP50 Helians. So uh-huh. it still goes over a mile for yeah. heat signature detection. Yeah, it's incredible. And I remember one of those nights we were hunting, you guys were actually in a different field. And I could, I, I think you all were like 1,800 yards away. And I could still see well, you guys. You were with around. Brett. You and Brett were watching us. Yeah. In fact, I had forgot my monopod in the back of the truck. And so they started heading to the field. And I ran back to the truck and got my monopod. And so I was trailing behind him for about, about 30 yards behind him. And, but you guys were a long ways off. You were a mile away. Yeah. And you, you were watching this hunt unfold, and you watched that group move out, and there were pigs out in front. And then I remember after the hunt was over, you guys came back, and Brett said, it was funny because you guys actually had a pig behind you. And I'm like, no, that was me, dude. <laughs> yeah. It was the fat guy. It was yeah. me. <laughs> he thought it was a pig, but it was me when I went and ran back to get the monopod, and I was trying to catch up with everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, y'all were a long way off. But you were, yeah, you were glassing a mile away from us, uh-huh. watching that hunt uh, unfold a mile yeah. away with thermal. So the the reason why I thought this was a a great interview topic, discussion topic for for today, was because it, people don't really think about daytime thermal scouting, which is going back to the Illinois hunt. You know, we talked about in the dark walking to your blind. We've talked about hog hunting, coyote hunting, all the things that you think of traditionally when you talk about thermal. Um, but as far as daytime goes, 
you can say, people don't realize you see it just as good during the day because it's still putting off heat. Shot a bobcat one time. Uh, I was actually at a feeder waiting for hogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but here comes, and there was quail at the feeder, and here comes this bobcat slinking in, you know, real stealth like taking one step like every 30 seconds, just crawling towards the feeder. Yeah. Like he probably does every afternoon. Yeah. But it was like an hour until dark. And I, I didn't have another gun with me. I just had my AR with the with the uh, the trail on there, XP50. Yeah. Broad daylight. Put it on the bobcat. Boom. No more quail for him. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking I would have laid him out. Yeah. Oh, no. He's no longer with us. We actually ate it. It wasn't that great, but that's another story. Uh, that's another story for another day. Yeah, one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest fights that we have. Uh, I wouldn't say maybe it's a fight, but maybe just an area of education for people is that thermal is not night vision. Mm-hmm. Thermal is thermal, and night vision is night vision. Thermal doesn't care what time of day it is. Um, and so we hear a lot of people all the time. A lot of people refer to thermal as night vision, and it's just not. Thermal is just thermal. But uh, in some respects, we're guilty of that too on the marketing side because we market quite a bit to nighttime activities using thermal. So mm-hmm. I guess, you know, we're probably guilty of facilitating some of that thought. Uh, but no, the truth is, you're right. Thermal, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, thermal is looking for heat signatures. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why it's become such an invaluable tool for me. And I'm going to, I think the more I do it, the less I'm going to feel like I'm cheating. Like, because I'm not having to use my binos to really dissect. And this isn't, like I'm going to go back to Western big game hunting. You still have to do it there with your glass, with your daytime glass. Um, but like when you're just at your dearlies or you're, you know, you're hunting uh, a smaller piece of land, something like that. I mean, maybe it's going to make me a worse glasser because I'm not using my, my, my vortex binos. Uh, that's what I grab second now. And, uh, you know, yeah. it just goes back to the, the hunt smarter, not harder. And, and I think that this really is, uh, a daytime tool, and and I kind of want to just get that message out there. But do check with your your state, you know, game and fish, because there are some states that are, you know haven't come around on it yet. Yeah, I think last time I checked, there were actually, uh, and I had to do some research because you know I, I you know write magazine articles and everything else whenever mm-hmm. I'm not uh, you know at work doing my thermal stuff. But uh, so I did some research for a feature about night hunting during deer season. Mm-hmm. Uh, with thermal and with night vision, and there were actually seven, 17 states in seventeen states out of fifty that actually let you transition from deer hunting during the daytime to night hunting using thermal imaging and night during vision deer devices season. during deer season. Uh-huh. Illinois is one of them. I, I ran into a guy at the airport, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we because we, I asked him. I was like, do you know anyone up here that uses thermal?'" And he's like, "Well, actually, I have one. He's like, I like yeah. to hunt coyotes with him." And I said, "And can you legally hunt coyotes?" This time of year, he goes, yeah, nighttime, it's no no problem. So yeah, so like you said, I mean, it's just probably the most important thing to do is make sure that, and if you're not hunting in the great state of Texas like we are, <laughs> then you know you just want to double check, yeah. you know, and make sure that it's it's okay, um, not to have you know not only to have a rifle mounted one, but also just have a binocular. I know Alaska does have some does have um, um, some say about, you know, how and where you can use thermal monoculars uh, up in the great Northwest. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, this bad boy's been to, let's see, Montana, New Mexico, Colorado, South Africa, now Illinois, the list goes on and on. It's a, it's a great tool. Highly recommend it. And um, another thing about that Illinois hunt, uh, Kevin was, so I go to the airport and I, and I use my, 
you know, my my blind pack, you know, I've got a tactical backpack yeah. that I use to like carry all my crap into and from the blind or, you know, for hunting in the backcountry. Yeah. You know, whatever. A lot of times I have that pack and it's sometimes there's ammo in there. So <laughs> um they're going through my backpack and they find one lone seven mag bullet at th- at security. And they take that. Then this pin that I the Pulsar gave me, the Pulsar has these like tactical pins, and I've got another one right here. They took that and like that can be used as a weapon. I was like, oh really? It, for me, it's a, re- a writing utensil, but you know, whatever. They take that, and then they they I had I had a, I had a, a sandbag in there as well because I knew I was gonna be hunting <laughs> out of a blind. And they didn't take the sandbag, but they they like dusted it and did all that testing on it. They're like, this is uh, this is kind of consistent with explosive like looking material <laughs> and, and so they did that and the, la- and the lady's like what do you use this for and I was like well hopefully I'm going to shoot a deer off of it and she's like oh don't you kill Bambi and I was like kill Bambi I said people don't go to Pike County Illinois to kill Bambi they go there to kill Bambi's dad yeah buddy <laughs> she's like and I, and I said are you a vegetarian and she goes no and I said well that doesn't really make sense because Bambi's dad's gonna even if I shoot him will have lived a lot better life than that cow that you know lived in a six by four boxes entire life and then got a air gun to the dome when it was ready to get slaughtered, you know? Yeah, maybe she's maybe she's the one that thinks that uh, you should go to the grocery store to get your meat where no animals are harmed. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Dude, I gotta I know tell you've you. Yeah, you that was funny because you, you were full, talking about yeah. finding that, that I avoided the full body cavity search though, so that was like cheers for Yeah, me. yeah. Oh, but on the way back I opened up my suitcase and there was a note in there that said your bag's been inspected. I'm like now I've got like this blacklist on me with the <laughs> airlines, I'm sure. Dude, I gotta t- I tell you the the, the 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 full search, right? And so my father-in-law, who at the time was in his 80s, right, and uh, I think he went to I think he went to Washington, and you know he did some garage sale, and that's you know my pop would pass a lot of stuff up, but he'd never pass a garage sale, mm-hmm. and so he bought a bunch of sockets. He bought a socket set, and he bought, he also bought a thermos. Mm. So he took all these sockets and he put it in a thermos, you know, trying to keep everything together. And then he tried to travel with it in his carry-on. And literally, like kind of like what you were thinking, I mean, they lit him up. I mean, they took him to the back room with the swinging light and everything and did the Grand Inquisition and <laughs> doing like, you know, like the full-on search. This 80-year-old man, and, and they would not open up the thermos because they, were, they swore that it was an explosive device. And uh, I don't know who it was. I think it was airport police actually came in and somebody had the guts to open it up and it was a thermos full of <laughs> sockets that he got at a garage sale, right? That's funny. But you said you were talking about, uh, a, you know, getting caught with a round in your backpack and I gotta tell you I mean because for Pulsar I mean you know we travel quite a bit and we were doing a, um, a shooting event I was traveling with Cole it was not long ago probably three trips ago it was mm-hmm. um, probably maybe this spring right and so I, I go through uh, airport security and my backpack gets flagged and they pull me over to the side and they're looking through there, and they pull this they pull this round out of my backpack, and I thought, oh well, that's my my bottle opener, right? And so I looked down in the little plastic bin there, and I thought, oh no, oh that's a real one. <laughs> and just as I was thinking that, he pulled another one out and dropped it in there, and then he pulled another one out and another one and another <laughs> one and another one, and he pulled out like eight rounds. And I thought, I didn't know I had any of that in my backpack. He yeah. pulled out eight rounds of six point five Creedmoor. And I thought, okay, did you find any more? And they said, it looks like we've got it all. And I said, okay, can I go? And he goes, 
No, we need to call airport police. Oh, my I God. said, seriously, you're calling the police on me? <laughs> Why don't you just throw it away and let me go? I have to, I have to catch my flight. They said, no, we have, to, we have to wait for airport police. They literally called the police on me. And I'm sitting there. I'm standing there, right? And I'm looking at him waiting for airport police. And I see Cole over there. He's stopped, too. And I'm like, hey, Cole, I need your help. And Cole looks at me and goes, oh, I can, man. They found some ammo in my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> We're going through the, we had the same problem, but he didn't have as many as I had. So they threw away his couple of rounds, whatever he had, and let him go. And I literally had to, I was waiting for airport police. About 10 minutes later, airport <laughs> police, um, you know, they called back and, and then the there's the told pop of a latex glove, and you're like, oh, no, not that bad. your butt cheeks together. Fortunately, <laughs> they didn't actually come. They called, and they're like, what's the problem? And the guy said, you know, we found eight rounds of, of ammunition. Eight, in that's the five backpack. more than what we call the police for, you know? <laughs> well, almost had only well, three. Yeah. Well, fortunately, the police, I think, were pretty cool about it because they said, man, they, I heard him. I could hear him through the guy's phone, right? He says... He told him, he says, if it's less than 20 rounds, just, you know, just confiscate the stuff and let him go on his way. Yeah. So, so he ended up letting me go. But I was like, I thought when he pulled out that first one, that it was my bottle opener. I didn't even know I had any ammo in there, but we'd been on the range the day before. And I guess maybe I scooped some up, threw them in there or somebody else threw my backpack so I wouldn't lose it. But, you know, hmm. it was a complete surprise when he pulled out one and then another and another and another. And I thought... How many rounds is this guy going to pull out of my bag? It's always an adventure. I mean, it is. I had one time I took my uh, Fox Pro, I think, up to, I think it was Colorado. I was going on a mountain lion hunt and figured I might have some downtime to hunt coyotes. And uh, I I had it as my carry-on. And I'm going through there, and there's like 15 shotgun shells in there. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, like I'm standing in the security line, and I'm like, I better look in this just to make sure. But, you know, really it's just my call. In the remote, in a little camo bag. Now I found like 15 shots. I walked over to the trash can and just kind of nondiscreetly just started tossing them in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, when you, work in, when you work in the hunting and shooting industry, right, and we fly a lot, I mean, I, I travel fairly often, right? And I got to tell you, man, a lot of times when I, when I travel, I mean, I'm doing shooting demonstrations and, you know, I mean, we're around guns and I've got gunpowder and everything. And, and there are times where, like, I may shoot in the morning and I'm flying in the afternoon. And I'm always a little like, you know, they always say, like, don't sweat in the security line because you're sure enough going to get pulled over to the side, right? They're going to think that something's up if you're sweating and you're nervous. And it's like, I'm just like sweating because I'm like, I'm wondering if they're going to pick up gunpowder right. on my fingers. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they're, they're, sometimes they're swiping you for that. And I'm like, if they do, they're going to see that I've, I've been shooting or I've got this, you know, gunpowder residue on my hands. And it's just because it's part of my job. Yeah. Yeah. I think I probably <laughs> need to just get off my butt and go do the TSA pre check, maybe. You know that eliminates some of that. Every year I say I'm going to do it, man. Every year, and then every day, every year I'm like, oh, I didn't do that, and then I find myself in a long line again. Of course, of course. You don't have to take your shoes off for that. And I think it's only like a hundred dollars a year, too. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. All right, 2019 goals, TSA pre-check. <laughs> yes, 100. percent We're going to work in a quick break here. When we come back, we'll discuss the vitality of the firearms industry, the Trump slump. Is it over? Uh, we'll get. Kevin's thoughts on that as well as a new caliber that he's working on a specific build and, and a caliber that I'm not really familiar with. It was just released back in October. We'll get into those things and uh, a whole lot more. And that segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company. They've got anything and everything you could possibly want for your whitetail herd. When it comes to planting, they've got you covered, including the Dr. Deer backed buck, forage oats, 
You can find them at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today We'll be right back with more from our good friend Kevin Reese. You're listening to the Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Have you been looking for new and innovative products in the shooting industry? Then check out IOTA. Their scope rings and stocks are second to none, especially with their patented zero light and key lock technology. Based right here in Texas, check them out at iotaoutdoors.com or call 979-229-4664. IOTA Outdoors, inspiring innovation for hunting and shooting. Climb aboard the bus and grab your bum. One on the bottom is one you want. Let's rock and roll as you roll down the road. Plug John Wayne in a VCR. That's Life on the Road, one of my all-time favorites there from the great Cherry Jam Walker, bringing us back on the Lone Star. After show powered by Dallas Fire Club, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hawk House as well, the longtime presenting sponsors. Uh, thanks to you guys and gals for being here today. It is great to be talking outdoors with you, as we've still got a longtime friend, Kevin Reese, uh, outdoor writer, gun writer. And Pulsar Zone here in studio with us. But before we get into the current status of the firearm industry, this segment of the presentation is brought to you by First Light. If you haven't seen my holiday gift picks, uh, go to my Instagram profile. I've got 10 of them listed there. My top picks for 2018, which includes the First Light Sawtooth Hybrid Jacket, the most versatile and functional piece of clothing that I've ever worn. I'm not going to lie. When it comes to hunting gear, it's my absolute favorite. Uh, retails for, I believe it's $210. Uh, but you can find all my gift picks there. I've got a, you know, a wide array for a variety of budgets. But if you don't have the first light sawtooth, especially ladies, if you're buying for your hubby or your boyfriend, you'd earn some major brownie points if you got them a sawtooth. You can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Uh, well, Kevin, thanks for sticking around through the break, man. Let's start things off by talking about this this new rifle build you're working on. It's a caliber I know basically nothing about. I think it just came out a couple months ago. It's a, a 300 PRC. Tell us a little bit about that bad boy. Uh, I'm expecting sub-MOA at 2,000 yards. Uh, when I was uh, running some ballistic checks through my calculators, it looked like it was going to go subsonic right about 1950. Huh. And uh, I just finished working a 6.5 PRC, and I was shooting sub-MOA at 1,840 yards. Uh-huh. So, huh. uh, yeah, it's yeah. going to be uh, pretty intense. My, my uh, custom rifle builder, uh, Derek Ratliff, over at Horizon Firearms, loved 
the uh, 6.5 PRC. It's like his favorite round. He like, calls it the 6.5 on steroids. It is, man. So, <laughs> it sounds like a 6.5 Creedmoor Magnum. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's like it, it's, it's really, um, it, when I talk about the 6.5 PRC, I think that it's uh, probably closely related to a 260 Remington Magnum. Mm -hmm. But like I said, uh, if that was going subsonic at 1,750 uh, 1,750 yards out of my rifle. So at 1,804, I was still shooting sub-MOA, but the last 200 yards, so I did take it out to 2,000, but I had 27 feet of drop. In the mill world, it's 4.5 mils of elevation drop that I had just in the last 200 yards. Oh, my God. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, it was falling. It was, I want to say it was falling out of the sky, but it was coming down pretty quickly. Uh-huh, right. Um, what about uh, going back to the firearm industry, we were able to, you know, at these midterm elections, keep control of the Senate as gun owners. Yep. We lost the House. Um, Trump hasn't And been there was no rioting. No. I, I, I'm just putting that crazy. out there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how uh, I went right to work. I went to work next day. You know what? When Obama was elected the first time, I didn't say, oh, he's not my president. I pulled on my, my big boy pants. Went to my damn job, which yeah. right here in the studio. But so I didn't walk far. Basically, put on my pajamas and walked to, to the studio. <laughs> but uh, and that was that. And I said, you know what? We'll we'll get them next time. And we didn't get them next time. We had eight years of it. But the sky yeah. didn't fall. The world didn't end. Obama sold more guns than anyone in American history. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't bad from the firearm. Well, actually, on the firearm side, you know, we saw a huge slow. Um, you know, when when, Trump got when President Trump was elected, and you know, through his inauguration, it actually slowed. Trump it, slump. It took some really great innovating from AR manufacturers to to dig it back out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, the AR industry has become quite saturated. I would say, um, you know, walk around shot show. A lot of exhibitors, are, or if they're not building ARs, they've got some kind of AR component that they're marketing. Um, do you think that, that that's going to level out, or do you think that's an industry, an industry or a market that's going to keep continuing to grow? Because uh, I, I know some have gone out of business, and a lot of it has to do with the Trump slump. Yeah, uh, you know, from what I saw, and I, I really work hard to keep my finger on the pulse of the firearm industry because I'm, I'm so... Um, you know, I guess um, in in line with them, I mean, it's what I do for a living, right? Yeah. So, uh, I think what we saw for businesses that were going under were, I mean, the small mom and pop AR manufacturers that weren't necessarily innovating or really doing anything on their own. Really, they were just collecting parts, assembling them, and branding them. Mm -hmm. And so, the people who have stayed are people who are actually producing parts, who are really innovating, who are coming up with a lot of crazy calibers. Phoenix Weaponry uh, is one that I've worked with a couple times. One of my favorite AR builders. That guy, uh, and I don't remember if you met him when he was out during, here during the NRA show. We actually hunted with him over with Brett and Charles at Three Girl, and he brought out a uh, a rimless forty five seventy uh, auto. The I remember semi automatic yeah. AR ten in a rimless forty five seventy, and I watched him take a hog off its hooves with it. <laughs> and but you know, uh, there's nobody out there, nobody out there uh, that was producing a, a rimless forty five seventy auto. That's his own brainchild, and so. People like Aaron Casey and companies like Phoenix Weaponry, those are the guys who have really kind of been the trendsetters with the new, um, the new AR market. It's not the mom and pops that are just doing vanilla uh, black guns with parts that are getting shipped from all over the place. These guys are really doing the hard work and, mm -hmm. and producing stuff. And what also what I've seen is, is companies who are doing that type of work 
um, when they used to command some premium prices, and now people are able to get into these premium ARs at you know pretty affordable pricing. It's almost kind of gone the way of pricing for thermals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think maybe people overextended themselves, like those smaller companies too. You know, like because things were so good. Uh, they had expectations of Hillary getting elected and yeah. thought things were going to continue. Um, and people are still, even when Trump got elected, I think that they were still spending the money on firearms, gun-related um, products, but maybe getting away from the ARs and buying like you know, a custom rifle or something like that because they weren't buying out of fear anymore. You know you have a president who's protecting the Second Amendment as opposed to Obama or Hillary who vehemently said, yeah. you know... Well, and I think, God forbid, you know, honestly, Beto, since, thank since God he didn't get elected here. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, even, uh, you know, I, I, I have a lot of friends that are, um, you know, on the Democratic side of the House, too, but they're gun owners and they're pro Second Amendment. And, you know, they don't want somebody who appears to be, um, you know, in line with socialism any any more than anybody else does. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that that. Um, you know, the Beto is that. I mean, I honestly don't know. Oh, I didn't spend much time F rating with the NRA um, that he researching was that guy because pretty you proud know, of his F rating with the NRA he was. Yeah, and that is a major <laughs> problem with me, right? Yeah. And and honestly, yeah. uh, so honestly, hey, you know, I don't really care which side of the fence you're on. It just seems that uh, more often than not, yeah. um, the people on my side of the fence are conservatives because I'm fiercely pro Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't make any bones about it. Um, you could look at some of the articles I wrote. I just wrote a couple articles on Breitbart that were pretty opinionated about the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and these are my personal opinions yeah. that I am pro Second Amendment, and I'm really not a fan of anybody who's not right, right, pro Second Amendment. I spent eight years def- defending my country. Yes, which uh, we appreciate your service. Uh, well, th- thanks, but I mean I, that's how committed I am to the, to the Second Amendment. I took an oath. And that oath doesn't have an expiration date. And people like Beto, to me, were, you know, sort of a threat to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Hillary, what I think Hillary. is like um, Democrats, I think, struggle with the Second Amendment. Me, personally, I'm pretty liberal when it comes to social issues. I don't really care. I'm not judging people with hellfire and brimstone. I don't, I don't care. If you, if, you know, if you want to marry a guy, Kevin, if that makes you happy, you know, do it. I don't... I, don't give two craps about that stuff. I care about the Second Amendment, which is why yeah. I typically vote Republican. Uh, but on the same thing, like I struggle with our public lands because a lot of t- it seems like the Republicans are more apt to attack the public lands. So that's kind of my my own personal struggle. But I believe yeah. what you know part of it is what do I need public lands for if I can't take a rifle there? So I got to yeah. defend the second first, and then I will fight for public lands. You know. Um, that's kind of like you look at this mule deer in here. It's a dink. Look at that mule deer right there. It's a it's a three by three. It doesn't even have a brow tine. What's the slickest? No mass. But I shot that thing at ten thousand feet in New Mexico in the snow on a hellacious hunt. And that trophy, uh, it means more to me than half the things in this room. Oh yeah. You know. So public lands are part of me. Uh, but like I said, I struggle with and and I've. I had Ted Cruz on the show, love Ted Cruz, but he lines up with uh, Mike Lee out of Utah, who's like, we got to get the public lands into state control, and I don't believe that to be true. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, Sometimes it comes down to 
Gotta find Honestly, a like who's less than a, who's less of a threat, right? right yeah, especially when you're talking about constitutionality. I mean, we're talking about uh, preserving the constitution. I mean, sometimes that is the be all end all for me, and it, it, it has less to do with party and a lot more to do with who's really out to preserve my rights. Mm-hmm. And even if they have some ulterior motive in some other areas, I mean, some things I can deal with, and we can work on that stuff later. But what are you doing to preserve our constitutional rights? Right. Yeah. And that's what it came down to for me personally, you know, with this last election is who's doing what. Right. As far as my constitutional rights, and especially the Second Amendment, uh-huh. because without that one, we don't have any other constitutional rights. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I saw this, uh, you know, the Smokey the Bear, only you can prevent forest fires. I just ordered this T-shirt off of some website. It's Smokey the Bear with an AR, only you can prevent communism. Yes, 100%, <laughs> man. Yeah, I'll wear that to the gym this week. I'm sure I'll get some looks from some liberals. be like, that guy's a lunatic. Yeah. But actually, NRA members have never committed one mass shooting in this country. People don't realize that. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah, so... Take the guns out of criminals' hands, and you don't have a problem. Yeah, I just I watched a speech not too long ago. It's all over YouTube, and it's, it's pretty viral. And, and the guy was talking about how he's sick of people committing evil acts, and and uh, for uh, different uh, factions of the population, placing the blame at, at the feet of people like you and me. Right. So I don't have anything to do with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, we we still have a few more minutes. I want to talk about because you told me this off the air. Uh, funny story of we were talking about you know when you're overgunned or you have a, a caliber you don't have a, the right stock on it <laughs> and it just I mean it, it creates bad habits I've got a I've got a 300 Win Mag in the gun safe that I haven't shot probably in five years because it's got a lightweight stock on it and when I was shooting it you know I noticed my grip was getting worse because my shoulder was hurting worse and you're preparing for that recoil and it just Leads to bad habits. So I don't shoot that gun anymore. I know you went on a, I think it was in Montana. Yeah, with <laughs> with my wife's family. <laughs> and, they, and you were supposed to, or wanted to take a 284, and you got saddled with a 340. A 340 Weatherby Magnum with a composite stock, yeah. Oh, my God. It was a lightweight, it was a lightweight beast. Yeah. And, and so, uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about that hunt. Yeah, so... Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, just like I did most years, I flew into Missoula, and uh, we were living down the road at that time, from, in, uh, in, down in uh, just south of Corsicana, so there is uh, a candy factory down there, mm-hmm. Russell Stover's. So I oh, brought yeah. this a bunch of this diet candy up. Well, it has this <laughs> ingredient that, you know, will make you have to use a restroom quite a bit if you eat too much of it, right? And so we, you know, they picked me up at the airport and about a four-hour drive out to where we were going to hunt in south-central Montana, and my father-in-law starts eating his candy, and I kept telling him, like, hey, you need to take it easy on this candy. And, and he would tell me, don't tell me what to do, because, you know, he's like 75, 80 years old, so he's <laughs> real cranky and everything. Like a curmudgeon. Yeah, so he's like, don't <laughs> tell me what to eat. So his wife starts in on him. My mother-in-law says, Gino, you need to listen to, you need to, listen to Kevin. Don't eat too much of that candy. And he would tell her, Donna, don't tell me what to do. Give me another one of them candies. And so for four <laughs> hours, he ate this candy. So the next morning, we go out there, and, and, uh, you know, he disappears on the other side of this tree line. And my mother and I walk down the edge of this alfalfa field, and I can hear these two uh, bucks sparring out in the field. And it's about, I don't know, 20, 30 below. It's um, getting a little bit later in the season. But uh, anyway, so I heard these, these deer going at it out in the field a few hundred yards off. 
And just as the sun came, you know, started the uh, daylight, and I could see the the deer out there about 300 yards out, and there was an alfalfa um, field out in front of us with an irrigation ditch about 100 yards in front of me. And so I literally low crawled 100 yards of this irrigation ditch, and every time that, that deer uh, put his head down to pick a piece of grass or something out of the weeds, I, you know, put my head up and, you know, got sit got sat up and everything and, and put the crosshairs on his vitals. And I pulled the trigger, <laughs> and that 340 Weatherby Magnum came back and hit me in the face. <laughs> and look, I spent eight years in the Marine Corps, man. I'm like, I've run guns before. I mean, I know I know how to shoot. I know about getting scope kiss and all that stuff. And I thought I had it tight in my shoulder and everything, good handle on it. The thing still came back and knocked me senseless. And it felt like it broke my nose. And keep in mind, I mean, it was so cold, you really can't see oh your face. Gosh. But I could feel that really um, just, you know, that dull ache that was just wearing me out when it happened. And it's the like blood, an blood splattered on the inside headache. of my glasses and everything. It was horrible. And about 30 minutes, I got to tell you, about 30 minutes after I killed that deer and I field dressed it and everything and, and getting ready to drag it out, and I saw my pop come out of the, the wood line with his red and black checkered Woolrich. <laughs> Elmer Fudd? And, yeah. And he comes <laughs> over, and I said, Pop, what took you so long? He says, I crapped myself. <laughs> I said, you crap yourself? He says, Yeah. I got monkey butt. I'm never eating any more. I'm never eating that candy again. So, <laughs> a funny side story, right? So the next day, we go out there again, and and I see this nice big. Uh, it was a, a good sized muley doe out in the middle of this other alfalfa field on this ranch that we hunted on, and I pulled that 340 Weatherby Magnum out again, and and I'll go. I'll circle back real quickly about that 340, but so it was about 350 yards away. And so I got on a, uh, it was actually on a fence post, if I remember correctly, but um, on the edge of another alfalfa field. And all I was thinking was eye relief, eye relief, eye relief. And, you know, I'm holding on to it, and I've got good eye relief, and I pull the trigger, and son of a gun, I hit myself <laughs> in the face again. <laughs> Two days in a row, I swear, I still think to this day it, it broke my nose. The blood splattered on the back of my glasses again. It was horrible. For a week after that hunt, my, my face hurt. Um, but I, I have to tell you, you know, I killed a bunch of deer with a 284. That was my rifle when I went up there to hunt with family. Uh-huh. And so they asked me when I went up there, what, what do you want to hunt with? I said the 284. And so we got to that, the motel the night before the, um, the, the, night before the morning that I, I shot that buck. I opened up the case, and it was that Weatherby. And I, I asked my pop, I said, where's that, where's that 284? He says, I, got, I, I have somebody else's rifle. He says, no, that's your rifle. I'm, no, this is a 340 Weatherby Magnum. Where's my 284? And my father-in-law just <laughs> smiled and he said, "Rich is my brother-in-law. Rich said if he had to sight it in, you had to hunt with it." <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I killed two deer. Just about broke my nose with it. I've gotten it the scope bite so bad that it, it was like a, a migraine headache instantly. Your eyes start watering. <laughs> you know, my eyes watered, but they froze within water. Oh my god, it is not comfortable. Um, but to do it two days in a row, that is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am the king of that, I guess. Um, but there was another, uh, your pop, though, talk, talk about, because someone else ate the candy, too. Oh, yeah. So a week after I came back from that hunt, my, my father-in-law calls me up. And he goes, hey, I got to tell you about Mark. He's been up there hunting with us, and he was he was up in our little family spot hunting up in the Bitterroot. And uh, he had some of that candy last night. And I got to <laughs> tell you, he crapped himself. And I said... <laughs> I said, you didn't tell him about that candy? He said, no, I didn't tell him. He said, he, he crapped himself, and he said he couldn't get his pants down in time. He got on the back of the pants, and then his wallet fell in it. <laughs> and I said, Pop, 
How come you didn't tell him about that candy? He just started laughing. Said, I couldn't be the only one to crap myself. <laughs> oh, they don't make them like they used to. No, we lost him. Uh, it's sad. We lost him March 1st in 2017. He was my hunting buddy for over 20 years. Wow. Wow. So I just went to a media event. Um, I went up to a, a media event uh, up there uh, in Montana and, um, I got to bring home the the rifle that was you know my rifle my 284. I got to bring that back home and and a rifle that uh, he was building for my son. He hand carved the stock. I mean oh, wow. literally from scratch. He didn't get to finish it. Yeah. Um, but I got to bring that stock and and um, I bring that home and and I promised my mother in law that I would finish building that rifle out for my son. Awesome, awesome. You can't beat those family heirlooms. I've got. Three of my grandfather's uh, two rifles and a, a uh, I think it's a it's a Browning Sweet Sixteen. I've never shot it. I'm scared. You know, it's just something pretty. Maybe for one of these days, for nostalgia's uh, sake, I'll take it on a goose hunt. But um, yeah, it's nice to have those family heirlooms. So. Yeah, yeah, they'll just get passed down. Yeah. Well, so where can folks find all of the uh, the Pulsar stuff that we've talked about today? Uh, or I'll just tell them it's PulsarNV.com. Yep. Find everything there. Uh, Pulsar has uh, great um, Facebook and Instagram pages. Post just about every day on there, uh, so you can follow along on those outlets. And and don't forget, twenty percent off any thermal or night vision optic. Use the promo code Lone Star when you check out, and you'll also get free shipping. And if you want to plug your personal social stuff as well, because uh, I know you're posting a lot of great gun content <laughs> on there. Yeah, a lot of Pulsar stuff, too, mm-hmm. so <laughs> they don't even pay me for that part. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, Main Beam Media, like the Main Beam on a white-tailed deer, uh-huh. Main Beam Media. Uh, that's my Instagram. It's probably where I'm most active. I'm the writer, photographer, videographer, so I can't get enough putting pictures up there. Yeah. Uh, and I would say if you're a professional in the industry, man, and you're coming out to SHOT Show, you need to come out and see us at booth 11924 on the main floor. And we're going to have some really, really cool stuff to show off that I can't talk about yet. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thanks for dropping by the studio, brother. Thanks for having me, man. appreciate it. All Always right. fun. Enjoyed it, man. There you go. It was our good friend Kevin Reese of Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. Uh, great stuff there with Kevin. Uh, truly, truly a, just a nice guy. I love visiting with him, man. He's got some stories. Uh, that segment of the presentation brought to you by... Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. And they've got cold uh, Lone Star beer there as well, so grab one of those while you're at it. Uh, We'll be right back with our friend Kyle Pavlik of Golden Triangle Whitetails. How did my Illinois whitetail hunt go down? My first time hunting those big Midwestern bucks. We discuss next right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. And religion, religion and guns. I claim to um both apologize. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. 
In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800 9 Go hunt or visit our website at www.biggame.org. I'm Earl Dibbles Jr. I'm a country boy. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I wake up, put a dip in, crack a cold one, put my boots in my overalls on. This is the country boy song. I like to gig frogs, like the good hogs, like to swim in the creek with my bird dog. <laughs> Harold Dibbles Jr. bringing us back. Country Boy song here on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you guys for being here today as we're about to head up to the Midwest and get after some giant bodied and big rack bucks with my friends over at Golden Triangle Whitetail. Uh, But before Kyle Pavlik joins us, this segment of the show is brought to you by Horizon Firearms. Y'all have seen that custom 7 mag that I've been Toting around all over God's green earth. It's a tack driver built by Horizon specifically for me. Specked out exactly how I wanted. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know how to design a custom gun. <laughs> it's the first time for everything, right? Uh, but when Derek and the Horizon folks asked me what I wanted, uh, they sat down with me and said, well, here's some of the things we can do and here's why we do them. But if you've got an idea of how you want your custom rifle to look, to function, give Horizon a call. You can find them at horizonfirearms.com. All right. Well, let's bring on our next guest here. He hails from (laughs) the Corn Belt, Pike County, Illinois, to be exact. It's my pleasure to welcome my good friend Kyle Pavlik to the show. Yeah, it's great great to be here, man. Great to, great to be on the show. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit about you and your upbringing growing up in Pike County, Illinois, a place you call home and also a place every whitetail hunter associates with giant rack Midwestern bucks. Um, I mean, I'm, I gotta, I'm not going to lie. I think we have great deer hunting in, in Texas, all over Texas, really. Uh, but I'm envious that uh, you've been able to look at these monsters for your entire life. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, let me tell you, it's a great place to grow up in. Um, deer hunting being basically really one of the only things we kind of get to do out here. Um, that and farming, right? Which is pretty much why these deer are big, you know. Uh huh. Well, so how old were you when you started working for your old man when you started guiding? Well, you can guide when you're 18, and that's pretty much right when I started. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how old are you now? I'm 33 now. 
Right on. Unfortunately. <laughs> doing it a while. I wish, wish I was back to the 18. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So you obviously have shot some monsters there. Uh, I know you kind of golden whitetail triangles rule of thumb is you don't get high on your own supply. So you, y'all don't hunt the farms that you put hunters on. Uh, you have your own little No, places. we don't. That's uh, kind of one of our big rules here. Um, we really don't hunt our own property. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I grew up hunting our property, obviously, but, uh, you know, once we started the uh, the outfitting thing, I kind of backed off and kind of wanted to just grow big deer for, you know, for the clients. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, then what is the biggest buck you've shot there? The biggest buck I personally shot is like a, uh, actually like a 183, uh, 13 point. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, one of my favorite bucks to sit and look at on the wall yeah so. <laughs> i think that one was in the basement where i was staying like uh pretty sure he was on the wall there. actually it was it's like uh two bucks over on the left oh yeah yeah from the, from the tv <laughs> yeah yeah do you still get to hunt back home or is is the entire season just completely dominated by guiding and outfitting i mean the entire season is dominated by guiding which is actually one of my dreams to be honest with you i i love this stuff i mean there's nothing different than i'd rather be doing than this so does it does it tug at your heart every time someone shoots a an immature buck it because <laughs> like it's a and, well, let me give you an example so we're standing in the skinning shed um my deer was in there there was probably five or six other bucks in there and there was a beautiful 10 i think it was a 10 point and one of the guides wives had shot it on their own their own personal property it was a small 60 acre plot and it's one of those deer that's like well you know 60 acres isn't isn't big enough to manage deer that deer is going to go off onto the next farm and probably get shot by them so i'm not saying i wouldn't have shot it too but it was only a i think a two and a half year old deer and uh you know we're looking at it and you're like cable this is one that has this is 200 inch genetics right here yeah i mean you 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 Looked at that buck. We both looked at that buck, and we both knew. I mean, there is very few deer that actually have that potential. Um, and yeah, I mean, it does break my heart every time I see one like that get shot before they reach their full potential. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it just it happens all the time. And what do you do? You know, you try your best, but it, it happens. Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, you guys aren't sitting there with every hunter telling them, hey don't shoot that buck or you know shoot this buck or sometimes people shoot what makes them happy and and i and you want as an outfitter you want return business you don't want to be be telling people hey you can't shoot that deer you know you you advise them and we had like a a, uh, like a little orientation where you i mean there's so many bucks on the walls in the in the lodge there where we all where we eat dinner but he said here's an example of what you can shoot and here's an example of you know what you probably shouldn't shoot (laughs) so Right. I mean, that's pretty much what you, you know, we, we try to do what we can do. Uh-huh. And we used to do like a full video and basically people are like, you see them squinting, you know, they can't see the video and showing them mounts and shed antlers and basically telling them, hey, you know, try to look at the body size, you know, body size, body language, look at the mass, you know, um, is really what you try to do. And you know, kind of leave it up to the guide to really talk to him further in that aspect. But yeah, it's uh, kind of a crash course in management, but that's really all you can do, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Would you say that a lot of your hunters have a lot of whitetail hunting experience, like in their own respective states? I mean, there's people from New Jersey, Delaware. You know, I'm obviously from Texas. Uh, folks from Missouri, Virginia. I mean, these are just a few of the states that were also, you know, represented just while I was there. So you're getting people from everywhere. Right, and that that is the thing. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, we're getting people from all over the country that, you know, have different sized whitetails that they're hunting at a regular basis, and then they come to our state, and, you know, our does are, you know, typically 175 to 200 pounds. I mean, yeah, oh, my God. You know. It was crazy. So, yeah, so, I mean, a mature buck here can be, you know, 260 to even 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. So they see these deer, and they're like, oh, my goodness. And uh, it can be hard. You know, they see a two-and-a-half-year-old buck, and it's, you know, 200 pounds, and that's a giant deer to these people. So yeah, yeah. But but most people do have, you know, good hunting experience. Yeah, well, that was, was you know what I was going to say is a nice mature, let's just say five and a half year old buck in Texas, North Texas or South Texas, kind of in the middle of the hill country. They're a little smaller bodied, but you know they're going to weigh 200 pounds. A big one's going to be 220, yeah. giant. You know. And I was looking through my thermal that first uh, that that first morning, and thought, "Oh my God, that you know." And all it is is you know, it's just a hot image. And I was like, "That has that has to be a big buck." And when the sun finally came up, I'm looking at it; it was just a big doe. And I was like, "Holy moly!" <laughs> so, <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, these these does, you know, a good mature doe, yeah, 200 pounds, mm-hmm. you know, no problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of them, like I said, they're being fed you know, acres upon acres of corn their whole life. You know, I mean, this is the corn belt. Um, most of these fields are planted in corn. Um, so that's their everyday diet. Yeah. Corn, corn, corn. So so you guys have over... They so good, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You guys have over 13,000 acres that you either yeah. own or lease from farmers. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the practice of managing the ag um, for your for the hunts essentially so most of the corn is, is harvested already but i guess you have something in place with the farmers where they leave a small a small little parcel there around right. I mean, the box blind as you probably know being a hunter um food is you know the number one thing to hunt and uh you know if we can't plan it because obviously we have tractors and you know, implements and all kinds of things like that to get these food plots in. Um, if we can't get them in because farmers are, you know, planting them for, for harvest, um, we'll offer to buy them off the farmer, mm-hmm. uh, which which doesn't come cheap, <laughs> yeah. as you probably would know. And uh, so we'll, we'll buy them off the farmer and he'll, he'll leave that, you know, certain section up and, you know, hunt it accordingly. Well, so I think like the day before I came in, Tom, my my guide, said, yeah, you know, you'll be hunting in a box blind, which is comfortable for me. I'm used to it. We hunt out of them in Texas all the time. Um, And I said, well, so what what kind of, am I just hunting a field or like, you know, um, he's like, no, no, no. They actually came in and brushed hog. uh, I don't know how many bushels he said, but basically knocked over some corn to put fresh food on the ground. And it kind of, you know made me think oh, I'm I'm used to this in Texas it's a corn feeder this this is a lot bigger space that you're looking at you know instead of one 30 yard area 
where you're, you know, you're basically, you know, right. where the deer's going to come. They can come out anywhere, but they're coming to that corn. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it was like a four-acre field upon a, I think, more than like a 50-acre field that you were hunting. But, yeah, you know, you could take the tractor in there and uh, uh, brush hog it up, which kind of does help that field for next year mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, planning it, stuff like that. If The farmers actually do prefer that, too, hmm. if you do buy it off them. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? Instead of just leaving it standing like that. Yeah. So. So. You kind of have to do that actually in a way. Well, it's great for the deer, and it's great for me. You know, I mean, the deer. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. yeah, like you kind of have to do it, but actually we kind of need to do wait it for the perfect time. Yeah. And it's just just so happened we wait for. I don't know. I think it was the day before you got here. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the deer. I mean, they they congregated in there. Um, obviously, and it was really cold the first day. And the general consensus, I think, among all the guides, was the first day is going to be the best day. That first day was ideal, yeah. I think we had a little bit of snow on the ground. Um, it was, well, it was a lot of snow for a Texan, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of snow for up here. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the week before, we had a lot of snow, and a lot of that snow actually melted, and I was hoping for more of it to stay, but I mean, it still worked out pretty good for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and the, the forecast was basically going to warm up to, like, the mid-50s. All that snow was going to melt, and it was going to rain. Uh, so I got there Wednesday. First day of the hunt was Thursday. And uh, it was like, it's going to be really, it was really cold, I'm not going to lie. Um, and you advised everyone in orientation, you know, your dad said, you need to sit all day. You know, we'll come get you if you want to come back for lunch, if you want to take a nap, whatever, but... I recommend you just sit all day. And that was one thing that stood out for me is, you know, there was never really a time I went more than 30 minutes without seeing deer moving somewhere. Because, you know, we could look 360 degrees in that that, uh, blind, and there was always deer moving around. That's what I'm saying. I mean, and even if there's not deer moving around, I mean, it's it's the moving in and out, you know, the walking in and out. I mean, or even the driving in and out to go pick you up, that just kills the spot. And a lot of people don't understand that. They just think it's, oh, you know, these deer are in a cage or they're just, you know, going to come out whenever. But no, I mean, they see you and they're going to, you know, not come out. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is why we go in, you know, at dark, pick you up at dark. Yeah. I mean, that's just. Well, a great example is, and there's a, there's a photo of this buck. I don't remember his name, but you guys named him something. What was this deer's name? The the one where uh, you you can see the empty bow stand, <laughs> the giant buck walking by. <laughs> oh, excuse, yeah, Mickey. Mickey, yeah. Yeah. So, and what he was like, 190 inch deer or something. Yeah, 197. And the, the guy but comes. He, he actually had broken like a four inch sign, so. So he would have been a 200 inch buck, and and the dude comes home yeah. for for lunch, comes back. Yeah. And, and there's a picture of the stand, and it's like 12 or 1 o'clock, I think. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. this 200-inch deer walking by. And someone else, I think, shot him the next week or something. Uh, yeah, we actually shot him uh, second gun season, uh, the season that you came. They probably sat all day. <laughs> he did. He sat all day, all four days, and uh, shot him actually on the last day. Nice, nice. Well, I had decided, you know, um, you can wait for a monster, or you can shoot something mature that makes you happy. I've basically said this is going to be the best day for activity and uh, had 
Um, I saw a lot of does during the day, but you know the big bucks—they're notorious. Whether you're here in Texas or in Illinois or anywhere, they like to come out ten minutes before the sun goes down. Um, yeah. So when this buck came out at you know four thirty, and I had amazing light, I was able to watch him, uh, film him for a good half hour, and finally decided, you know, and the thing was judging these deer. That was a little bit difficult going back to their body size, but, you know, you look at their face, you look at their neck, and I was like, he's got to be four and a half. I think he's probably five and a half. He's a beautiful eight-point, which to me, you know, is the classic representation of what a, a white-tailed deer should look like. Good mass. Uh, so I, I decided, you know, this is this is a perfect buck for me. And uh, shot him, and I was telling you, you know, got it all on film. When that muzzle loader goes off, though, you, all you see is smoke everywhere. And he was right. at 144 yards. I borrowed your dad's muzzleloader. I was, that thing was sick, by the way. And it was dead nuts at 150. I just put it right on the shoulder. Boom. And then all I see is smoke. And then, you know, once it starts clearing, I see just tails. Because there's probably seven or eight deer in the food plot uh, in the corn. And they're just taking off in all directions, running into the woods. And I'm like, dang it. I was like, I guess I made a marginal shot or... Well, you know, sometimes you make a great shot, and they still run. I was like, now we're going to have to call Tom. We're going to have to go track this thing, go find him, which with the snow on the ground, probably not going to be that difficult. But, uh, you know, everyone prefers when there's no tracking job. So then I go back and look at the footage. Well, you made a good shot. Yeah, well, yeah. And so I go back and look at the footage and just to see where the shot hit him, if I could see it. And at the end of the footage, there's the it's just zeroed in on a dead deer laying there. I was like, oh, Yes, there he is. <laughs> like, got my binos up, looked at him, and, and, yeah, he was dead as a doornail, just laying right where he was. Never took another step. So Yeah. yeah. I mean, which is, like, ideal. So, Cable, you can come back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. What is what is the biggest frustration for you? Is it when people shoot young deer or, or when someone wounds one? Because um, I know, especially with Illinois oh, being man. primarily That's a bow hunting state, uh, I mean, you guys start well, in October, yeah, right? It, yeah, it's primarily a bow hunting state. I mean, we go, uh, well, this year it's October 1st, uh-huh. uh, January 14th. Okay. And, like, I mean, every year it's 10 days a gun. Mm-hmm. You got seven uh, seven days of shotgun flash muzzleloader and then three days of muzzleloader only. Uh-huh. Um, and then the rest is obviously bow hunting. Yeah. So most of the state is bow hunting. And, I mean... That lends itself it, to more wounded deer. It, it's, it's both the same frustration. I mean, obviously, I would say killing a younger buck is more of a frustration because you're seeing it there dead. Uh-huh. And then, you know, wounding a deer is obviously the same frustration, but not as bad because you still have that chance of like, oh, maybe he's, you know... Yeah, maybe he can make it, but you still know he's probably dead. And you guys find a lot of them out even after clients leave. Uh, you do actually. We uh, do. I think generally, like in Texas, and people obviously cater to bow hunters, but the majority of outfitters are like mm, prefer if you just use a gun, you know. So that's not available to you for other than ten days. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of work that goes into. I don't know how many hundreds of tree stands you have out there, but. I could see three or four just from my from my vantage point in that uh, 
in that blind, you know, just looking around the field. Like between five and six. Yeah. So uh, you guys put a lot of a lot of work into that. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> your dad had yeah. said the number of deer that were wounded by bow hunters already this season, and I was like, good God. Are these people bad shots? I don't. I just. It's I mean, a, I. Illinois legalized crossbow this year. Uh huh. And that. Oh wow! Uh, that was this year. Yeah, that was this year. Uh huh. In my personal opinion, that was one of our biggest uh, issues as far as wounded deer was the crossbows. Huh. And I actually had a lot of my uh, compound hunters come back with the crossbow, which kind of shocked me. You hmm. know, I was like, "What are you guys doing?" Yeah. They're like, oh, well, I can shoot this crossbow a lot farther. And it's like, no, I mean, you really can't. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still a whitetail. They can move. They can still, you know, there's still a lot that can happen. And, I mean, most of these wounds and misses were actually with the crossbow. That's surprising to me. But yeah. I think, yeah, people overextend themselves, think they can shoot dead nuts at 80 yards. I mean, some guys shoot those things at 100 yards all day. Oh, that's what I'm saying. They get them out on the ranges and they put them on these bipods and here they are shooting 70 and 80 and you put a whitetail in front of them it's a whole other ball game. Well, and, and generally speaking, I won't shoot a whitetail deer outside of 30, 35 yards of the bow. Um, maybe right. if everything is perfect, but they've just got those fast, fast switch fibers, they duck and, you know, it's just you're signing up for a world of disappointment. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. You got limbs, you know. You, they can duck, you know. I mean, there's there's just a lot that you know. The limbs go off on on the crossbow and actually can hit things that people, you know, they're hitting the box lines. Like I said, the bolts are hitting limbs, flying through the air. Mm-hmm. Um, just all kinds of stuff. Mm. Okay, it's a well, nightmare. That's interesting. Good uh, yeah. perspective there on the on the crossbow. Um, as we kind of wrap things up here and folks can look at the picture of, of my buckets on my website, it's on all my social media stuff. Uh, how old do you think that deer was? Actually, I think he, he's definitely, I would say at least four and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he's a beautiful deer, man. Yeah. I he, love the color on the rack. He's a very nice buck. Yeah. And you could tell he was beating the, beating the crap out of other deer with that, uh, infection on the, on the skull when I was caping him out. That was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> in a disgusting way, it was a was gash <laughs> in the top of his head that was just full of pus, and uh, it was disgusting. Yeah. But yeah, he was he was doing some fighting. Yeah, so. yeah. yep. Well, he's definitely a, a beautiful buck. I, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting him back. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys are going to ship him or bring him here when when you come down for Texas Trophy Hunters, which you guys do every year, and that's where we we met. Um, yeah. Perfect. So folks can can find the Golden Triangle Whitetail booth at the uh, Trophy Hunter shows in Fort Worth and, and Houston this summer. Um, man, I would I'd love to talk about your elk hunt as well, but we're about out of time, so we'll leave that one for the for another visit another day because uh, definitely reaching out there and touching an elk. That is something else. You, you could shoot an elk at seventy yards with a bow, no problem. They're not as fast. You know, it's like shooting a. <laughs> A basketball size. Yeah, you gotta, I don't know if everybody can do that now. You know, I mean, yeah. that was that was a pretty uh, pretty tricky shot. Now, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll we'll talk about that on our next visit. But 
New Mexico is a place I think that's near and dear to both of us, and we both shot bulls there this year. Mine wasn't 360 inches, but somebody shot one that big, and <laughs> it was hell of a trophy. <laughs> that was that was one of the the best hunts of my life, right there. Mm-hmm. And you got, I mean, you held out to the last day. You passed on some smaller stuff, um, and you know, that's another interesting thing, though. If some guys don't want yeah, to go home empty-handed, definitely, definitely pays off. Yeah. 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 Well, right on, man. Um, give us the website and uh, Golden Triangle social media outlet so folks can follow along. Uh, yeah, we're at uh, goldentrianglewhitetail.com. Perfect. Instagram and Facebook yeah. pages as well. So. Um, yeah, we. I'd I love you guys to come visit, and I hope to come see you at those two shows. Yeah, and you know, my dad and myself will be there, and yeah, we'd love to talk to anybody. And I'm planning on coming back already. Trying to, um, this, the wheels are turning on. Coming back next year, same season. So, uh, well, you better come back, man. Hopefully, make it an annual trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Kyle, I appreciate it. Everything far exceeded my expectations. The hunting was was incredible. The way the properties were managed, um, the lodging excellent, and uh, and the food was phenomenal. You guys bring in a, a cook that's from Texas, so of course the food's going to be good. And uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't get better food from Texas. Are you kidding me? Yeah. We all know that, so that's no why I get that cook there. Yeah. So, hey, two thumbs up. I appreciate it, man. It, it exceeded all expectations, and, and I look forward to the next time. Thank you, Cable. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care, man. All right. You too. So there he goes, Kyle Pavlik, second-generation outfitter over at Golden Triangle Whitetail in Pike County, Illinois. Uh, certainly looking forward to going back there. And I'm also looking forward to going back to South Africa this summer with John X Safaris. The date is June 7th through the 15th. Still have a couple spots left. If you want to be a part of that hunt, shoot me an email to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. And I'll send you over the necessary information. Uh, unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, we've got to go. Got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to Kyle as well as our friend Kevin Reese of Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. Coming up next week, we'll get into the Eastern Turkey restocking effort going on in the eastern part of the state. How's it going? Uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife has been working with the NWTF on that project for some time. So we'll take a look at that, among other things. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then... I'm Cable Smith saying, and y'all have a great week in the outdoors. There's a storm in my rear view and a city on my nerve. He's a mind in the straightaway, and there's comfort.